I'm sure you can all remember the times when there has been a great event in world history. Everything has changed from it. For some of you, it may be the assassination of JFK. For others, the breaking down of the Berlin Wall. Maybe it's, for myself, September the 11th. Everybody knows where they were when that happened, because that was a day when everything changed in some ways. I was sitting in a lecture in an ICT class in Cookstown High School, and a teacher came running in, and he goes, something's happened. And we all rushed off to the computers to try and log on the internet and see what had happened. And there it was, September the 11th. Big events change things. What happens after, it, what happens after the event? How do we continue? Uncertainty reigns. And this is kind of the backdrop to what we see here in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. We've just saw how uh, the Ahaziah, the king of Israel, has died because of his idolatry. And now we see that Elijah, the great prophet, the one who stood up to the prophets of Baal, the one who stood up to Ahab, the apostate king in Israel, he is about to be taken away. And it is one of those events. It changes everything. For as Elisha, when he saw him go up, called, said of Elijah, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Now, he was speaking about Elijah there. Elijah was this great prophet. He was the prophet. And everyone else, all would have revered him, all God's church and his people. What happens now? Elijah's going. What do we do And this seems to be the backdrop where we meet here Elijah and passing on the baton now to Elisha. You will remember if you turn back to 1 Kings and 19, at the end there we see God had specifically appointed Elijah to go and anoint Elisha to be his successor. In verses 19 through 20 in chapter 19. 1 Kings. So Elijah went there and found Elisha, son of Saphat. He was plying with twelve yoke of oxen. He himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak or his mantle around him. Elisha left his oxen, ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him, went back. He took the yoke of oxen, slaughtered them. He burned and the plowing equipment to cook the meat. He gave it to the people they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. He was Elijah's apprentice. He was there to learn from the master. But now the master was to leave. What is going to be the result? I want to look at this passage in terms of three basic points. Firstly, in the first 18 verses, we see the same God, but a different era. Same God, but different era. Then in verses 19 through to 22, we see the same grace, but a different prophet. And then the last part, verses 23 through 25, the same judgment, but a different 
prophet. You see the pattern that is repeated here in these first verses. Elijah and Elisha are together. They are sent to Bethel. And Elijah says to him, stay here, Elisha. But he says, no, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And he does this three times. What are we to make of this or understand of this? It seems to be some kind of test for Elisha. Will he forsake his master? He knows it's the time when he will have to step up to the mark. He will have to be the prophet that Elijah was. He will have to continue his master's work that he has been taught. But will he have the confidence to do it? Will he have the resolve? So three times he is questioned. And three times he answers, no, I will stay with you. So we find here, we have a handing over. Now, the backdrop to everything that takes place here is to do with the geography. It begins uh, at Gilgal. It heads to Bethel. From Bethel, then to the Jordan. And then Elijah is taken from Elisha. But then notice that the pattern then is repeated because Elijah, Elisha rather, comes back the same way he traveled. He crosses the Jordan once more. Then he heads to Jericho, then to Bethel, and back again. You see this pattern that is repeated within the Scriptures. The central point leading into is this event at the Jordan. Now, what is the backdrop to all this? And how can we understand this? We remember back again in history, in the history of the nation of Israel. Remember that Moses wasn't able to cross the Jordan, but Joshua would. His successor, the one Moses would train, would lead the people over the Jordan into the promised land. And this is the backdrop which helps us understand what is going on here, because again, we see a a cosmic shift in what is going on in the nation of Israel within the kingdom of God. For as Moses handed to Joshua, now Elijah is handing to Elisha. There is a great change. Elijah comes to the Jordan. He crosses over, a bit like Moses crossed over the Red Sea, and he brings Elisha with him. He asks Elisha, what can I do for you? I am about to leave Elisha. What can I do for you? And Elisha asks this question, asks for, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. In the law, in Deuteronomy, what Elisha was actually asking for was a a first son's share of all that a father had. Elijah didn't have anything. He didn't have any material wealth. He didn't have any… all he had was the clothes on his back, really. So, what Elisha was asking for is a double portion, what he is entitled to, of the spirit of Elijah to continue his work. And he's told if he sees him, if he sees Elijah as he leaves, he will, he will get it. If not, then no. And as they walk along, suddenly then there is a, the chariots of fire and the horses of fire appear and they separate the two of them. No longer now is Elijah Elisha's master. That link has now been broken. 
And again he cries out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel, what is he to do now? What is Israel to do now? The great Elijah is gone. And Elisha in great mourning tears his own clothes. There can be great uncertainty when something changes. What happens when it changes? What happens when what seemed to be something which was so sure, so solid, all of a sudden is taken away? What happens to the church of Jesus Christ? This is the issue now. Has God then forsaken the nation of Israel because the prophet is now away? What will happen? And this is the uncertainty. But God's work must continue. Elijah And he went to the Jordan, and he took the cloak, and he struck the water with it. And he asked the question, now, now where is the, the Lord, the God of Elijah? Is he still there? After this great change, after this person has been taken away, this warrior for God, what has happened? What will happen to the people of God? Where is God now? And Elisha gets his answer. The same way it did for Elijah, now the water divides right and left, and he crosses over. Here we have the second Joshua, again crossing the Jordan to do his work, to fulfill the ministry that he has been given. The company of the prophets see this. They understand now that God is not forsaken Israel. The Spirit of Elijah, the Spirit of God, is now resting on Elisha. It has went from Elijah to Elisha. God is still there. The era might have changed. The time of Elijah is over, but Elisha and the Spirit of God is still working. He crosses over. And there's a great lesson in this for us, because it is very easy for us to build around a person, to build a ministry, to build a church around a personality. And then once that personality is taken away, what takes place? What happens? The great uncertainty comes again. But God stays the same. God doesn't change. Even when the personnel change, the instruments change, God stays the same. He is unchanging. The Word continues to work. God's power continues to be felt through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even when the baton is passed on, even when the personnel change, when there's a seismic shift in what goes on, the personnel change, the time might change. It's not the great revivals of the 18th century anymore. It's not the 1950s. It is now that we have been given. This is our time. And God expects us to continue His work because God is still at work. God was at work in the 18th century. He was at work at the Reformation. He was at work in the Bronze Age. He is at work 
in the 2000s and will continue. God doesn't stop even when the personnel change. And in the culture we live in, which is a, a celebrity culture, where we have cults which celebrate celebrities, we have magazines which publicize every single little detail of their lives, it is a great danger for us within the Christian church to do the very same thing, to have a person or something which we exalt to the point where we cannot do without it. We cannot build ministries. We cannot build our church around personalities, but rather we must build them around the Lord Jesus Christ, around the gospel, which is unchanging. For that's what Paul would tell the Corinthians. As they, uh, in 1 Corinthians, he, he said to them, what is Paul? What is Apollos? These are just servants through whom you heard the word. But the real ministry is done by the Spirit of God as it changes people's hearts and continues the work of God in His world. God is the same, but there may be a different era. And then we see the same grace, but a different prophet. Elisha now begins to retrace his steps back the way he had come. He's back in Jericho. They had looked for Elijah, but they couldn't find him. He was away. Now Elisha was on his own. He had no longer had his master. He is now in Jericho. What happens? Again, we need to remember the history of the city itself. Jericho, of course, was cursed by Joshua. As he entered into the promised land, Joshua, in Joshua chapter 6, if you want to turn that up, Joshua chapter 6, verses 26. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath, cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son will he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest will he set up its gates. As Joshua passed into the promised land, and as the Israelites began to take the land themselves, they came to Jericho, and Joshua pronounces this curse. And then, of course, we remember back again to 1 Kings chapter 16, where we read, at the time of Ahab, in the time of great apostasy in the nation, Hail of Bethel rebuilt Jericho, the city that was cursed. And what happened? He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. In the dark days of Ahab, the king of Israel, this took place. When the word of the Lord was despised, and, the, and here we have the backdrop to what is taking place here. The water in the city, this cursed city, uh, is, the water is bad and the land is unproductive. I think a better actual translation of this is the water is causing stillbirths or miscarriages, both in the, in the cattle and in, in, in the, the people and women. There is a curse on this city. But what happens? We see here God displaying His grace. Elijah is away, but now Elisha, again here, with the Spirit of God resting on him, 
brings grace, brings the ministry of, of God's grace to this city, the city which is in need. So, Elisha brings the salt. They, they asked for salt and put it in a bowl. He brought it to him. Then he went to the spring and he threw the salt in, saying, this is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained wholesome to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. You see, the point is not the salt and what it did, but the point is the word of the Lord. Here, as Joshua had pronounced a word of judgment, a word of curse on this city, now we have the second Joshua coming in with the Spirit of God resting on him, pronouncing a word of blessing a word of grace, a word of restoration, a word of renewal to this city. And God's word is fulfilled. The water remains wholesome to this day. God's grace is shown in the healing of the water. He delights to show grace to the cursed people in this city. He delights to take what is broken, what is corrupted, and make it new, to restore and to heal. The same grace exists Elijah was away. The great warrior, the great preacher, the great minister of God's grace. But now Elijah comes after, filling his shoes. God remains the same. It is the same grace that comes to us, these people. It is the same power that God uses. But it is a different prophet this time around. And friends, the same for us. These aren't the days of Elisha. But we live in the time of the last prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the one who brings God's grace to us. His gospel is God's power to us to restore and to renew. His grace offers us forgiveness to broken, hurt, corrupted, defiled, sinful human beings. God remains the same, even when everything else changes. His grace still comes to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. God still delights to bring mercy to sinners and to heal and to restore our hearts. But, like we've said before, in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, As it brings to us the grace of God, so also it brings to us a word of God's judgment. And we see Elisha then moves on from Jericho back up to Bethel. Bethel, of course, was the great home of uh, Jeroboam, son of Nebat, his his, uh, worship of the golden calves. When Solomon had died and his kingdom had split, between his son Rehoboam and Jeroboam. Jeroboam set up in the nation of Israel two golden calves, one in Dan and one in Bethel, and told the people that you must go and worship there. You must use these these golden calves for your worship. And this is the backdrop again to what Elisha here is, is facing. He goes to this city, this city which was full of idolatry, full of pagan ritual. And he is the Lord's prophet. 
And he is walking along the road outside of the city, mind you, not in the city. And the ewes come out. No doubt they had no time for the Lord's prophet. No doubt they didn't care much for Yahweh and his commandments and his covenant. They were too entrenched in their idolatry. And what do they say to the Lord's anointed? They mock his hairdo. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. It is a mocking thing. It could well be playing on go up in the same sense as Elijah was taken up to heaven. Go up, you bald head. But I think more more likely is telling them to get out of here. We don't want you here. We don't want Yahweh here. We don't want the Lord's anointed here. We worship the golden calf. We bow down to the idols. This is what's taking place. And what happens? But Elisha speaks a word of curse, a word of judgment. He turned around, looked at them, and he called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the wood and mauled 42 of the ewes. Bear in mind that these ewes would have been probably around somewhere between 11, 12, 13 years old. They knew exactly what they were doing. They knew who Elisha was. And now they face the judgment of God because they mock the one whom the Lord has anointed. They mock the one the Lord has appointed to minister His grace and His judgment. And God brings His word of judgment. It is the same judgment, but again, a different prophet. Like Elijah had pronounced judgment upon judgment on kings of Israel. As he had called down fire from the, on, the mind of Car- on, on the soldiers, as we saw this morning. As he had pronounced judgment on kings. So again, now Elisha is announcing judgment. Different prophet. Same judgment. Same God. And the two bears come out, and they maul 42 of these ewes. And he went on up to Carmel and returned to Samaria. You see, what we have in this story is a great encouragement. Because the people who would have read this first, of course, were the the Jews who had been taken into exile in Babylon. They had witnessed a great seismic shift in their nation. Things were different. Everything changes for them. No longer were they in Israel. Now they were in Babylon. No longer were they free. Now they were in captivity. Where was God? But God stays the same. God is unchanging, and His gospel remains the same. It still speaks that word of grace, and it still speaks that word of judgment, even when the personnel change, even when the era is different, when it's a different time period. You know, it's great for us to look back in history at the great times when God has moved, and we should do that. But we need to remember that when society changes, God remains the same. When the culture looks very, very hostile, God remains the same. When things are difficult for the church, when it's having a hard time, and God remains the same. 
His gospel is still the same. It still brings new life, and it still pronounces judgment on those who mock the Lord's anointed. Elisha here was the Lord's anointed. He was the one who bore the Spirit of God. He was the one who spoke on behalf of the Lord. And these Jews reached, got what was coming to them. They mocked the Lord's anointed. And indeed, the mocking of the Lord's anointed continues even today. Because Jesus Christ is the Lord's anointed King. He is the Lord's anointed prophet. He is the one who reveals God, who reveals God perfectly in His grace and in His judgment. And still today, they mock. And still today, God remains the same. He is unchanging. He is the same God in a different era. He brings the same word of grace through a different prophet, and He brings the same word of judgment through a different prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Will we listen to Him? Will we listen to what He has to tell us in His gospel and believe Him? Receive that restoring grace? Or will we mock and receive that judgment from God? God unchanging. Let's pray.